Being disabled or having a chronic illness can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me and my new friends from this underrepresented community as we talk about disrupting the status quo and creating change within the world and within ourselves. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. With me in the passenger seat and managing the radio for this road trip is Justin Jesudas. I found the following on your Twitter, or I think they call it X now. I don't understand that totally, but we'll just call it Twitter. What he's doing with that, we don't know. Um, you're broken down into a few different parts here. Quadriplegic, elite athlete in the morning, researcher by afternoon, and then peer counselor, friend, and much more during the weekends. Let's look at each one of those. Quadriplegic, the last I found on you was 12 years ago. I'm not sure of the timing on that. How long has it been, Justin? Uh, now we could say it's been 13 years. Uh, okay. Uh, it was a car accident um, uh, back in uh, 2000, uh, late 2009. Uh, and uh, right uh, after the accident, uh, when they took me to the hospital, people told me that I'm going to be paralyzed uh, neck downwards for the rest of my life. Uh, and I think at that point, my reaction was like, oh, okay, because I didn't know what it means. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what else do you do? All right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think uh, the initial days were a little uncertain for me to, you know, kind of understand my body and uh, what quadriplegia means, what a spinal cord injury means, not having, uh, you know, uh, uh, motor control, bowel control, bladder control, and all of those things. Uh, so I, I think... Uh, yeah, that's that's how I became a quadriplegic, uh, and uh, I I probably say that my journey in the last thirteen years has been much more interesting than the first twenty nine years of my life before the accident. Okay, okay, all right. That's a good way of looking back in the in the rearview mirror and seeing how things go. Let's talk about uh, elite athlete in the morning. Fill us in briefly. Right. So um, four years after my accident, uh, I I played basketball before my accident uh, i've been a ri rifle shooter for a brief span of time uh, but after my accident i i felt uh, at least in the rehabilitation programs that i checked in uh, nobody knew that persons with disability can play sports there are still millions of uh, people in india who do not know that they can pursue sports so for me initially it started off something like a fitness and then i felt there is some potential when i started doing swimming and I thought, okay, why not pursue this? And that took me to, you know, World Championship, Asian Games, okay. uh, other international championships. And uh, okay. and I think today the confidence that I have uh, is primarily because of sports as well. We're going to dig into that because that's where something that really caught my eye when I was researching you on, we have something in common there and we'll talk about it. Researcher by the afternoon. Briefly, what do you mean by that? Yeah, for the last, uh, uh, I think... Um, two decades and about three years. Uh, uh, it's always been about research and analytics. Uh, I've done corporate strategy, consulting for companies, looking into markets, uh, competitors. So I've been researching a lot of stuff. But uh, three years uh, ago, I quit my corporate career and uh, joined, uh, you know, um, 
an engineering university, uh, a research lab there. And uh, these days I research on uh, assistive technologies. Okay. Last one. Peer counselor, friend, and much more during the weekends. What is right. What does that entail? Sure. Uh, so I, I think based on the understanding that I've had about spinal cord injury and about myself in the last 13 years, uh, I've, I felt that uh, there are several things that I, I, I'm able to do over a period of time. And I, when I look around, a lot of people with spinal cord injury uh, are inside uh, their homes, do not come out. Uh, there is no community participation in this group. So I meet uh, newly injured uh, spinal cord uh, uh, injury uh, persons, talk to them and tell them, you know, what I went through and how I came, up, uh, came out of, uh, you know, being inside the house, uh, participating in the community, doing different things, exploring life uh, yet again. Uh, because I keep telling people there is a beautiful life uh, after a spinal cord injury or a paralysis. Uh, and I know it because I'm living that. Uh, so that's what I do in terms of peer counseling. Um, party like crazy with friends uh, with cool. or without disabilities, that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's very important for us, uh, you know, despite uh, a disability like that, for us to play all the community roles. It could be like a friend, uh, a father or a son, uh, uh, you know, uh, a spouse, uh, a citizen. I think it's important for us to play all the community roles. And I believe in that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I mean by uh, much more. You know, I usually come down to the basement. I record in the basement. It's a house that was built in 1957. It was originally uh, lived in by uh, professors. And I just imagine what sort of parties that they would throw down here or what they might have been smoking back in the 1960s. But I get down and, and I set up the, the studio, making sure everything levels are right and everything. And then I usually end up pulling up Pandora. And I started playing, the first song that came up was uh, Time to Move On. It's from the Tom Petty's Wildflowers album. And I had to stop because when that came up, I thought of you. Uh, the, the opening lines are, it's time to move on, time to get going. What lies ahead, I have no way of knowing. But under my feet, baby, grass is growing. It's time to move on. It's time to get going. And that really, I think, nailed what I've learned about you. It's going right from, oh, by the way, you're not going to be able to move you know, uh, major parts of your body until where you are right now. We're going to save that. You know, We're going to be talking about that. But I think it really hit home, man. It's just wild that that came up because I from now on, anytime I hear that song, I want to be thinking of you, Justin. I mean, it's just crazy. So let's talk about athletics. And those people might not have read about me and stuff. Uh, back in 1993, I, I had finished my first year of uh, coaching at the college, coaching soccer at the college level. And I was heading over to Europe and uh, our team was ranked nationally. And Nike gave me a call and said, hey, we want you to come down to our uh, one of our regional camps and and talk to the athletes. Okay, this is great. But it's there I became sick, and I ended up waking up, basically, I'll shorten it, a month later to find that, by the way, you have no hands and parts of no, you know, both feet uh, are gone. And the, the doctor, attending physician there told me, if you weren't an athlete, there's no way in heck you would have lived. Because I was still in training, because I would go over to Europe and do some playing also. So let's talk about athletics. Um, what have you learned about the correlation between becoming severely disabled and athletics? What's come to you? 
Yeah. Um, so as I said, you know, I picked up uh, uh, active sports, physical sports, primarily because I wanted to focus on fitness. For me, uh, I think waking up every day in the first two, two and a half years of my life, staring at the ceiling and not being able to do anything, and the body completely is frozen and being spastic. I just wanted to change that, and and I I was getting sick and tired of that, and um, you know. Two and a half years down, uh, it was a very startling uh, revelation for me. Uh, two revelations, actually. One is uh, there were people around me, uh, parents, spouse, all the time, you know, trying to uh, help me, and that's great. That's that's you know, I'm I'm grateful for the fantastic support system. But I also realized that uh, I wasn't living my life, and I wasn't letting them live their life either. And I mm-hmm. I wanted to change that narrative, uh, and. Uh, uh, that was one and two why am i focusing on something that uh, i don't have absolutely any control over you know the prognosis for a spinal cord injury is always poor and despite mm-hmm. knowing that in the first two years let's you know hope is great and then that's all fine but i think you've got to do what you got to do um so that you know that moment where i uh, felt that i i should focus on things that i can control which are uh, my shoulders uh, biceps triceps is compromised um uh, wrist is compromised no finger function at all so what i what i said to myself is come what may if i have to you know tie my hands onto a gym equipment and you know do some weight training resistance training i'm going to do that and uh, when i started doing that nothing happened uh, in the first week first month or in three months time yeah after three while. months for the first time i was able to you know uh, move from the bed to wheelchair using a wooden plank by myself now mm-hmm. that kind of opened up uh, you know a completely different perspective that hey you can still focus on things that you have intact and you know go about your life in a very small way that you know one thing led to another and i said to myself i i need to pursue some sport for my physical stamina and fitness and when that happened and when i consistently started doing that I think in 3 4 months time I signed up for the state championship won medals and all of that but I think what was more important uh, for me was beyond all of those medals the experience of being able to do that again that's one and to do way better than you know uh, what I could imagine and and the entire journey is so so relishing because uh, uh, going to the games village in different games asian games or world championship meeting other athletes the enormous amount of confidence that it gives you to show what is rightfully yours i think that that's the connect for me between sports and uh, disability you know i just highlighted on my notes i'm going to title this thing time to move on that uh tom petty song i just mentioned because that's where you're going with this and damn if that didn't nail it I really I, I want to bring up something here Justin. I found a photo of you you're in a you're upside down in a tripod position with your top of your head down and then your hand so you've got a tripod three points of support. How the hell I'll, I'll finish this for the folks. So he's upside down folks and he had major spinal cord injury and I'm thinking how in the hell are you doing this? because of all the pressure from gravity of not you not being able to stay stable how much the muscles in your back are being used to keep your stability but but how can i i, I just don't understand it 
how did you get to the point of being able to to be that strong i guess is it in the head well not literally but is is it you being able to get over things or you just got to the point of strength to be able to control things as you said in your shoulders yeah no i i think it's called air uh, yoga uh, so there is a little bit of support for your lower body for uh, you know hip below uh, from that uh, fabric that you get so okay. that takes a little bit of your weight uh, but yeah f- for your upper body you still have to you know kind of support yourself so it's it's kind of you know uh, yeah i was i think i was able to do it for about 4 uh, 5 minutes and uh, repeatedly for about 3 4 times uh, i believe in this right all things are difficult before they become easy so i think if you yeah. keep trying things on and on and again uh, there's no other option but for things to become easy so when did you come to that conclusion was that before the accident or after the accident maybe i believed in it before the accident but the realization really happened only after the accident okay that is freaking amazing how these crappy things can happen to us in life but they also open up other doors or open up in this case for sure your mind to something and your spirit to something as well because all right so let's keep talking about athletics and and what you've done okay swimming let's go to the beginning and i read something about you the first time you went to the swimming pool you first of all had to talk some people into taking you to the swimming pool how the heck did you do that or were they just going uh-huh okay justin we'll go try cuz that's what you want to do how did you get them to take you i guess this is crazy yeah because see uh, uh, i didn't know a quadriplegic can swim uh, uh, at that at that point uh, i didn't watch any videos or anything at that point i just wanted to uh, swim because uh, deep inside i said to myself uh, hey when you're inside water you're mm-hmm. gravity assisted and and i yes. think that's something you should definitely try uh, and i still remember that drive uh, from my home to the swimming uh, uh, aquatic complex about 18 uh, kilometers took about half an hour or so uh scared as hell inside like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah what the hell i i kept saying to myself um uh, as long as you imagine. hold your breath you're not going to drown so if there is any difficult circumstance okay. probably you can just hold your breath for a brief uh, point in time and uh, maybe somebody Someone will pick you stay. up yeah all right <laughs> so i did i also read so there was a lifeguard there with was was the pool made aware that here comes this guy that might drown <laughs> were they made aware first or was it okay no, so, no i i go there and i i tell them hey i want to swim and they look at me in a wheelchair and like how would you swim i don't know but i just want to get into the water <laughs> <laughs> and that was a moment where like I don't okay know. but how do we go about this uh, i said just get me into the water and let's see what happens Okay. And and they were like okay, let's pl- put a floater on, uh, around you and we'll okay. put you inside the water and let's see uh, you know how that goes. I mm-hmm. said okay, uh, because I wanted to get inside the water and then probably after a point in time take the floater off or uh, something like that. And then I get inside and uh, a floater does its job, right? It keeps you afloat and uh, right. for 5 minutes, 10 minutes and it started becoming boring. I told them, "Listen, take this out and let's see what happens." Oh, and uh, they were like no it's not safe no why don't you get inside the water just for my sake 5 minutes okay. not more than that if i find it difficult i'm going to get out and i'm i'll be responsible about it 
and that uh, uh, lifeguard got inside they took the floater it seemed like the longest breath that i was holding for the longest point in time and i was like took the deepest breath and then i found myself floating although the legs were like you know kind of uh, dropping inside uh, the lower yeah. uh, body but i was still afloat and the more i tried to you know put my head up uh, uh, backwards i was floating and then i started uh, you know uh, taking short breaths and then uh, uh, inhaling and holding it for a longer time uh, release some air and then again hold it and i was fine and i told them see this is working you know if if mm-hmm. if you're uh, worried about me you can probably move around with me a little bit but i'm trying to you know going to do this backstroke in a very awkward way because for the last 3 years before that i've not really you know stretched my shoulders or rotated my shoulders and all of that in a very awkward way i started doing that and i think that was a start of the journey in terms of absolute freedom in terms of what i wanted to do uh that led one thing after the other into competitions i felt there is potential there started doing proper uh, physical fitness and training in a sports science center to the national ga- uh, games to the international championships and qualifying for the world championship asian games i i think it 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 got one after the other i don't know how it uh, went like that uh, maybe in the hindsight uh, i i can say in about a year and a half uh, whatever i achieved uh, going you know uh, from being nothing zero in terms of swimming because i didn't know swimming before my accident i learned it after that this um, is really strange justin <laughs> i only after the first time when i went to the pool then i got interested about this started looking at youtube and all of that and okay maybe this is how a person with uh, neck down paralysis swims and all and i i figured little by little uh, and uh, in chennai or in india for that matter at that point in time there was no nobody uh, who could coach a person with a neck down paralysis that was the other challenge that i had to face um that's primarily because they didn't understand the disability they've never trained a person with a disability to uh, swim and secondly my age at that point was 34 and uh, back here if you're 34 and you're trying to swim you're not a medal potential at all because of probably age or whatever it is so youtube became my coach let i i want to do something to to uh release some of the tension on the the listeners how many medals have you won must be there, about 25 30 okay this is nuts man and they're all gold uh pretty much most of them are gold yeah. yes okay so we're going to take so people can sit back up in their chair now after hearing that and i want to go back to what were these medals won when you were doing the backstroke cuz it sounded like That's okay. right. Uh, You're doing back the backstroke. Primary stroke. Uh, so even uh, in freestyle, I uh, do backstroke. How so, do you turn around when you get to the end? To one right. end. Uh, so when I see the flag, I know it's five meters. Got count it. the number of strokes. When my okay. hand hits the wall, push that slightly and then uh, turn around. So at an angle to be able to turn around, and that's Correct. slowing you down, and it probably ticks you off because you're that type of person. But we found. Damn, I've got to make this faster. I've got to make the turn faster. That's that right. That seems like that's the part that would slow you down. Yeah. So you've got to adjust because what's come out of this is there's a freaking very extremely competitive person inside of you. Or was it Let me let me go back a little bit. Was it getting in the pool for the first time 
that you did truly feel weightless and therefore maybe your mind had a moment to relax? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Uh, the first time when I went to the water and when they took off the floater, yeah. uh, you know, to start with, to even hold that ladder, uh, I, I partially hug it. And that was like the first time uh, by myself, I was able to be in a vertical position after my accident. Because until then, you know, you're always in the bed, sitting in the wheelchair. Oh, man. Yeah. Or, you know, in in the rehabilitation setup, they put you on a tilt table and then they try to tilt it. It's all supported and somebody does it. This is the first time after accident, after three years, I'm getting into that position. And I was like, oh, wow, this is nice. This feels nice. Yeah, yeah. So what was it like? Because I, I was in the same position again. Losing your independence and depending on others was... Let's, I'm going to save the word guilt for a while. So let's look inside. You said two and a half years, basically, you're on your back. Yeah. Especially being a male. Uh, that is extremely tough. And you, you talked about, and I found a couple of quotes. It, the, specifically, you said, I'm not living my life fully. I'm not letting my family uh, live theirs either. Why am I still focused on things that are no longer in control? your lower body, forearms, and fingers. Instead, why not focus on shoulders and biceps? So it seemed like that's where... You, so did you start focusing on your shoulders and biceps before you went into the pool? Yes, I did. Okay, so that allowed you the strength. Correct. What was the reason for starting to focus on your shoulders and biceps? Because they were in perfect control. I could still control them. Okay, so it was something that you could gain back. Yeah. And you could... Man, that must have felt great. As you, yeah, as you continue to increase weights and things like that, you just ate it up, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I want to bring up a quote you said. These realizations. This is coming off the realizations that you're, we just talked about. Uh, transform me from being completely dependent to interde- interdependent to being completely independent. And now raising, hang on, folks, here we go, toddler twins who are completely dependent on us. Did you have any kids before the accident? No, no. <laughs> this is, you're, you're even deeper than I thought, man. You, you're like a really deep pool, I'm finding. So after you be, got into the accident, it's like, oh, yeah, this would be a great thing for me to do now is to become a father. I, I take it you were past any guilt issues by that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. So let me bring up guilt issues, but they, I would think that they would come up again because I raised five adopted kids from different countries, but I'll tell you this, they all came home after the diaper stage. Let's go back to talking about uh, guilt, my friend. What about during the diaper stage? Did you happen to not be able to uh, change the diapers that day or did you have to move forward with it anyway? No, so the, the initial uh, uh, days uh, uh, were tough because uh, I, I didn't get a hang of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, uh, for me often when, when, when there is a challenge in front of me, uh, as I said, you know, it's, it's going, I, I know for a fact that it's going to be difficult. But uh, instead of, uh, you know, giving up um, or getting, uh, you know, awfully worried about it, uh, I think if if I focus uh, on how I can actually crack it, how I can actually do it, 
it could be you know using any technology or just okay. even if i have to do it in a clumsy manner that's fine as long as uh, as long as i do it as simple as that um so so i think over a period of time i figure out how to do things uh, you know how to manage uh, all of uh, mm-hmm. those things as well but the first 3 4 months was tough i'll bet and how old are the kids right now they are four and a half okay so they're obviously they're getting into walking and things and how have you have you gone through any phases of i'm not a normal looking dad ha- have you has that hit you at all or doesn't it bother you at all anymore um i think there could be possibly flashes of uh, that thought uh, but it's never in permanence it it probably stays for a few cool. seconds and cool. then i just say you know there's no point in thinking about it because there's nothing that i can do about it uh, you know my daughter for instance uh, uh, now not as much but uh, a year and a half back or year back uh, she'll come and uh, dad get up stand why are you not standing come with me okay. let's go walk and uh, i'll be like i'll i'll try to explain but at that point she was like no doesn't matter you have to come but these days it's like hey listen what's the goal really you want to go and play in the park let's go you walk okay. i roll okay got it but we'll go it. yeah i you know in raising my five i don't think there was at any time that they ever make a point of me not being quote normal or being able to do things it's interesting how the kids at a younger age they get it and they don't think too much about it um and it's going to be interesting as your kids get a little bit older to see how those things do might come up yeah. where they might realize i mean my kids had to swing a hammer for me at times um but i'd always try to figure out a way to do it anyway and sometimes i broke one of my prosthetic hands but i didn't give a rip because i just wanted to do it but there might be times when they're going to have to get up on the counter to get something because you so, might yeah. not be able to in the kitchen yeah. and things but trust me they're they're going to already know they'll know the your limitations and they'll appreciate them um but uh yeah there there are times especially grown up as a male that it's just ingrained in us on what you know on that sort of stuff so you're talking about solving problems i want to now get into your uh, work in the research lab at the indian institute of technology in madras okay uh, i want to bring up something to you cuz i always get into really digging into and finding out information about my guests and i think we already saw the the thread that i believe runs through you that kind of was there in, in your life prior to becoming disabled and has really popped out since then so i think we've got that part but in uh the indian institute of technology uh on their website um on the first page and i stopped after i saw this there's images that are scrolling from right to left across and each image has a point to it and i think it was a second or maybe third image that came across when i opened it up it said incubating minds when i read that i stopped okay i am intrigued by this so much i don't want to know about it by reading it i want to come to you and talk about it just as our listeners are finding about it, out about it as well so tell us about what you're doing with this group that uh, is incubating minds absolutely so this uh, this research center was founded by uh, professor sujatha srinivasan uh, uh, 
uh, about uh, seven, eight years back. I've known this group for the last uh, 10 years or so. Uh, but at that point, as a user, as a potential user, and at a later point, as a, a design consultant from a user perspective to create user-centric designs and all of that. But only in the last uh, three years back when I quit my corporate career, I, you know, uh, they had an opportunity uh, and I said, hey, why not? Uh, let's work together. Because for me, the transition was very important uh, because I, I value um, the potential of technology, assistive technologies. Uh, for a person who's neck down paralysis, if, if they can drive a car, if they can, you know, travel the world alone by themselves, it's all because of the appropriate technology. And it's not just important to have one Justin like this, but create more Justins and more of my friends who are working together who have a disability like that so that we can change people's life and there is more community participation. Cool. Because uh, there's an awful lot of people in India and I'm sure in uh, other countries as well, especially the low and middle income countries who don't even come out at all. And I, uh, I, for us, it was like, how do we change that? And that's exactly what uh, the uh, the vision and mission of uh, uh, R2D2 Center as well was. Uh, how can we create assistive technologies that inspire ability among people uh, in the community? As simple as that. Okay. That's that's the vision really there. Uh, and then, you know, we talk about increasing their quality of life. They participate in different things and basically create a flatter world where everybody feels there is an opportunity for them. Okay. Um, you know, putting that equity uh, equity in, in, in place. So that's that's how we started. Uh, because our strength lies in mechanical engineering and this research center is uh, part of the mechanical engineering department, we've stuck to our strengths and we play with uh, mobility-related issues, human body mechanisms, uh, how it works, uh, and uh, what are the different uh, problem statements that are out there where we can research on. And then finally, more importantly for us, all of this research should not just stay as academic projects, but mm -hmm. should actually go into the community to the end user so that they can benefit out of all of these efforts. So we operate in a model called the GRID model, where G stands for grants, we raise grants. R stands for research, which we do independently or in collaboration with other universities. I stands for industry partners. So in the entire journey, we can design and develop. But if there is no partner to commercialize this, who can market it and mass manufacture it, then everything remains as a lab project. So we onboard a partner. And then D stands for dissemination because uh, creating awareness across users, across uh, rehabilitation professionals, policymakers is very important, uh, especially in the low and middle income countries. So that's the way we operate. We uh, develop you know, mobility devices that uh, can have significant impact in people's life, uh, has that uh, scale, has that uh, innovation, and more importantly, affordability as well, because that's that's very important. You you mentioned something that threw up a red flag to me was how many projects actually have gone through the entire process and are now out for public consumption? Do yeah. you have any? Cool. Yeah, yeah. Four four cool. uh, products are out there commercially available. Uh, some of the products, thousands of uh, devices have been already sold, uh, uh, you know, a rigid high performance wheelchair and a clip on device that can convert the wheelchair into a roadworthy scooter that's oh. out there. Yeah, a standing wheelchair, which is, which is you know, uh, something that we've developed in the last few years. 
and it's it's re, it retails at about uh, say about uh, 300 uh, $350 something equivalent to that in the US or western Europe we are talking about 3000 $4000 okay so that doesn't seem out of range why is this the first i've heard of this and is it actually being mass produced yes yes in the in the last two years a few hundred devices have been sold uh, uh, we've given license uh, to two different uh, manufacturers pretty soon it's going to go out uh, you know to markets outside india as well okay all right and how many projects do you think that you guys have in the works so to speak about nine products uh, in in uh, in the pipeline uh, under development and our goal really is to uh, at the very least uh, commercialize and put out in the market at least one device every year and i take it you're in the the lab and they probably come to you for experiential testing because of your situation and that's important do you stay with a project how far do you stay with the project through the process? Yeah, so um, uh, so we are we are about forty people uh, in our group, uh, which comprises of researchers, PhD scholars, um, engineering students, engineers, uh, uh, rehabilitation professionals who include physical therapists and occupational therapists, and there is a group of users as well. So anything that is related to wheeled mobility solutions. I'm heavily involved, you know, pretty much end to end, right from conceptualization to identifying industry partner and seeing the entire uh, process. Uh, but if it's something to do with prosthetics and orthotics, uh, you know, a little bit of insights here and there and probably, you know, a little bit of uh, project management support. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you know, the appropriate user, you know, sees through or uh, goes through that entire journey along with engineers and rehabilitation professionals. So the that's, that's doing- what it the more I'm doing this show, I'm, I'm learning about process and how to get things to the market. And that seems to be both the biggest damn hurdle and also what can make something actually happen. I want to talk a little bit about um, back in, uh, I want to say, 2010, people from Johns Hopkins. Well, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, as more and more amputees came back to the United States, the military, Uh, came back, it became apparent to those in the Senate and Congress, the people who are being voted in and out of offices, that we need to do something because this doesn't look good. All these amputees and what are they able to get out of things? So they threw a bunch of money out into the research area, kind of like what you guys are doing. Just threw a bunch of money out there and said, here, go come up with some things that will uh, make the amputees, I'm just paraphrasing, look less amputees as an amputee. I got a call from Johns Hopkins because I've been using by that time, gosh, uh, 18, maybe 20 years, um, using bilateral myoelectric hands. So it was Johns Hopkins was doing research for uh, these myoelectric hands that had individually moving fingers. Okay. And we've, we've heard about these. I remember watching on 60 Minutes. So I went out and they asked me at that time, it was just in a phase, it was here, put me on some probes in my, on my arms and could I make these things work theoretically on a computer? We had no problem. So I came back the next day and they wanted to do some more. It's like, okay, I, I helped them prove a point before they went to the manufacturing stage or the next stage in, in testing. 
But I remember talking with the lead on this. And I said, you better make damn sure that these things continue working because there are so many moving parts. And these guys are coming back with such poor insurance that one breaks. It takes me two and a half months to get a hand back after it breaks. I can only imagine, I don't want to imagine how long it would take these things to be repaired to come back. So after I said that, I never heard from them again. I brought up a negative to them and they didn't want to hear it. So it sounds like you actually are, you're working with people that have good relationships with manufacturers on being able to get some things out. So I, I, I'm thankful and I, I, I'm glad to hear that somebody doesn't have to go through the, excuse me, bullshit uh, that so many of these other people have had. You're chuckling in the background. I see that. So do you come up, up against some of, the, some of this red tape and uh, uh, the manufacturers actually saying, well, we're not sure about this. What are your hassles that you run into, Justin? No, I I think uh, uh, the the good thing is uh, there's a there's a very good set process, and uh, as I said, Professor Sujata has done a, a fantastic job in terms of setting up all of this. Uh, we we have a very good uh, design journey, and uh, if I have to briefly talk about it, uh, mm-hmm. right, it all starts about uh, from uh, from a problem statement, uh, right? N- just because we're right. an engineering university, uh, you know, the solution does not come first. That, that still happens. You know, some of our engineers come and say, hey, I have this idea. It's a fantastic idea. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's a fantastic idea. But who's going to use it? What is the okay. use for it? Right? I think that needs to connect. Uh, and that's very important. Uh, yeah. So we start with problem statement. We see, uh, you know, uh, where does a problem occur? How does it occur? How often does it occur? In what situations? Who faces it? Who are the stakeholders? Uh, you know, that are connected, not necessarily the person with the disability, but people around it uh, as well. And we try to map all of it. And we don't believe in, you know, just creating surveys and asking people for answers, but mm-hmm. go and spend a day in their life and see how it, it all you pans go. out. There so, you go. Yeah, that happens. And that takes easily about two to three months or even more, because if you nail that right, it's mm-hmm. almost half the work done. And okay. then we ask people to conceptualize, come up with few concepts, and then validate. And usually what happens is the very first prototype proof of concept that people uh, develop is what we call a dirty but functional prototype. Go to the workshop, pick up all the scrap that you have. It doesn't have to look good. It just needs to work. Let's see the proof of concept. Exactly. If exactly. it works, and if the specifications and features that you have, even if it achieves 60% of it, great. Then we go put some money in it and then we develop the first prototype, which looks good, which has about 70, 80% of features that we want to do. And then the engineer tests it, persons without disability in a controlled environment, they test it and all of that and they're fine with it. It goes through, you know, uh, computer simulations, finite element analysis and all of that. Then we also put it in uh, mechanical testing. We have our own testing rigs. In India, there are no testing standards for wheelchairs yet. Uh, but we have testing rigs that comply to ISO standards so that we, it's it's to international standards. Wheelchairs okay. are lifted and dropped for 6,666 times, uh, 2 lakh cycles, uh, 200,000 cycles of double drum test. This is for the wheelchairs. For prosthesis, 3 million cycles of, you know, the stress test. So we make sure it all goes through all of that. And then we put it in the hands of users in a controlled environment. They give feedback. User trials are done. We come back to the design room and, you know, kind of further refine it. Then we go back 
and say, hey, this is refined to all your needs. Now, is it okay? And if they say, yes, it is all okay. If it's past the computer simulation, the uh, destructive testing, everything, then we say, okay, now we are ready to license it. So that's that's I, the journey. That, that should be the process. I'll, I'll finish my story with two years later, my prosthetist that I was seeing uh, gave me one of these hands to try. All the movable fingers and stuff, I got it to work pretty well. Within a week, it fried. I mean, these were being manufactured and sold and going through insurance companies. The electronics fried. And the prosthetist company dropped me because they said that I was abusive. I was using it to steady myself as I got off of a treadmill. And it went zzz, <laughs> it stopped working. The, oh. All right. I want to finish our, our talk up by a, a quote I found from a very wise man. And this guy said, I believe that as human beings, we're intelligent creatures and have the ability to adapt to any situation. Going with what you've been saying. All we have to do is drop this attitude of why me and things will be a lot different. The most important thing to do is live our lives, come out of your confines. And that's what you were saying earlier. Come out of your confines and believe that you can be independent. And I think this is a, a big thing with you. I feel the same way. Uh, what we are is the new normal. Who was that wise man? There's a quick, quick test for you. Who was that wise man? Uh, yeah, I, I, it was I you. It, <laughs> it was you. Uh, no, it's interesting because I'm I'm reading this at the end, and so many of these pieces were with could easily be fit back into what how the show progressed. What we were right. talking, you got it, man. It, it's so true, right? Uh, yeah. Imagine if every every single person in this world was born with paralysis and they had to use wheelchairs. Life would have been so normal for everybody. Yeah. Just just because you acquire it in between uh, shouldn't stop your life. Uh, I, I think there's more to life. One single incident should not change the course of your life. There could be learnings from it. But I think, you know, you need to move on. And and I think you should always strive to live a life to the fullest. And I think that's that's the most important thing. I, I think those are very wise words. And that takes us to... The sound of the VW Beetle means it's time to shift gears and get into the road trip roundup. Justin, I'm going to throw you five questions, and these are related to your experiences with road trips, okay? All right. You've been doing fine so far. Uh, when road tripping, do you tend to do fast food or local diners? Uh, neither. I I just carry food from home, and yeah. all I do is, even if it's a 10-hour drive, I just stop for uh, five, 10 minutes, quickly have my food and start driving. What are you on a race or something? It sounds like you're d doing uh, uh, 24 hours Le Mans. Uh, no, there, 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 are, there are a few reasons for it. One, I, I live in a, uh, in a place where it's extremely uh, warm for a majority of uh, the year, right? Okay. Uh, nine to 10 months, it's going to be about uh, 35 deg uh, degrees centigrade plus. And this is like really warm. And as a person with uh, spinal cord injury, I can't regulate mm. my body temperature. Okay. Um, so so the more I stop somewhere, it, my body temperature increases to the external environment and I can't bring it down. Okay, so, got it. So unless I know absolutely there is a place where I can stop and it's going to be, you know, relatively cool and I can chill out for some time, uh, I, I usually, you know, prefer uh, just driving through from uh, point A to point B, wherever I have to go. Uh, but yeah, when I when I drive in uh, uh, in the month of November, December, and January, 
I I just stop wherever I want to, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the scenic beauty and all of that. Yeah. Uh, so all those things happen. But yeah, usually I just uh, z- uh, zip past. So let's let's look at question number two as if it were those better months. Okay, what would be your dream car for a road trip? Oh wow! <laughs> um, certainly a Mustang. Uh, Name the era. You talking about sixties or you talking about the electrics now? Uh, the sixties. Really? Sixty-four. Yeah. I mean, all right. So there's two ways. Let me break that down, everybody. So you're talking about 64, 65, maybe in a 66 when they just had uh, smaller engines. Are you talking about 68, 69, and 71? The Mach, the Mach series was out. I mean, the yeah, big... the Mach series actually. Okay, yes. okay, yeah. All right, learning something about you. You're crazy, man. Uh, <laughs> just make sure it has air conditioning so you can regulate the body temp. Okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. Mm, you, I think you might be of age to be able to answer this question. We'll see. Last cassette or CD that played while you were on a road trip or driving from one place to another? Last cassette or CD. Um, it's now going to be an English song. It's it's going to be yeah, my local mother tongue song, Tamil song. Cool. Uh, you know, we have a, a, a musician here uh, uh, it's called, goes by the name Ilay Raja. And his tunes are like fantastic. Uh, mm. You know, uh, I, I enjoy those... Uh, romantic songs uh, the tunes okay. that come out of uh, him um, yeah i think that's that's the last uh, cd uh, that i listened to totally okay not everybody has to listen to tom petty all the time okay straight up coke or pepsi neither water you just you are such a simplistic down-to-earth guy okay but i know what's inside of you now but you want to go out there at times and kick some ass. We know that. You just want to, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to do it and we're going to get it done. And then we're going to move on to the next one. So I know that's inside of you. Okay. Water and food that I bring myself. You're so serene, but damn it. I know you must be in the lab and you get, you must get in a lab with an idea and you don't stop until you get to a certain point where you could finally walk away and say, that's done. I'll come back tomorrow. Right. Is it tough to you? to get you to leave or you're constantly looking at your watch. When can I leave? No, I don't look at the watch. When can I, I didn't leave? think so. No. You get focused on it and you won't let go. Yeah. All yeah. right, cool. All right. Last one. This is whatever you want to get into. What's your favorite road trip memory. Now this could be before the accident, after the accident, it's up to you, man. Not putting any pressure oh, on you. There are lots of road trip memories. Yeah, pick one. I just pick enjoy one. driving, but this okay. one particular thing, uh, you know, uh, for the very first time, um, I did about a 12-hour road trip completely by myself with my car completely packed with household stuff because I was moving from Hyderabad to Chennai. Okay. I drove by myself. Family was like crazy scared because uh, what happens if it breaks down in such a long trip? Yeah. God, Justin. <laughs> I just had to do it. it, it there you go. Just, you had, had to do it. Yeah. You just had to do it. Yeah. There you go. That guy, but just serene with his sandwich and his and his water. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, we're wrapping this thing up. This has been fun. We're wrapping this thing up. Um, and I want to stick on and, and talk with you a bit. This show might not go out. We're we're recording this in uh oh yeah, kind of mid-August. This might not go out until October because I'm taking a, a bit of a break and doing pick and choose uh interviews. 
uh, as I get ready for the school year to start because I substitute teach at least and, and do soccer stuff. But, um, we are going to stay on. I'm going to hit stop for everybody, but I just want to say challenge relax everyone and keep listening to Life's a Road Trip. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip.